Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. Today, we are talking about advanced training methods for hypertrophy. Yeah, awesome. I think this would be a really good episode because there's a lot of things that we all do in the gym, both Danny, myself, and I'm sure everyone listening, like drop sets and supersets, and we'll define what all these are getting into it. But there's a lot of these bodybuilding bro style things, and we really want to break them down and explain exactly what they are and why we do them. Definitely. And then, so you guys can work out whether it's right for you to try or not, because I know a lot of people see things on Instagram and they can't wait to give it a go. But there's mm. a time and a place, just like everything. Let's get started with what hypertrophy actually is. I think it's one of those words that are really thrown around as well. And people are like, you know, hypertrophy or hype, you know, and people are like, what is that? <laughs> what is it, Danny? Yeah. So it's an increase in muscular size. Simple. Bodybuilding. Bodybuilding. That's right. And yeah. it can actually occur at all rep ranges because I know back in the day when I was doing my cert three and four, like 10 years ago, we were taught that there was like 12 reps and you still get the, the PDFs floating around, you know, three by 12, three by 12. Mm. But things have changed and we are becoming more aware now that it's not actually a magic number. It's what you do within your set. So mm. we have to adhere to some of the following rules being perfect technique in your training, squeezing and contracting the working muscle, lifting until muscular failure when safe. And we have touched on that in a previous episode, mm. lifting a high volume of weight or always pro applying progressive overload principles. So it's not as simple as do 12 reps and your muscle is going to grow. There's a whole list mm. of things. Yeah, exactly right. And like what you said there, you know, there's no such thing as the perfect rep range. And it's very dependent on, you know, the exercise that you're doing or the muscle groups that you're training. And, you know, our muscles don't even know sets and reps. They just know time under tension or mechanical load. So it's really important to understand that, like, when you're even progressing, you know, your training splits or um, your rep ranges, like, what are you actually doing? Because your body doesn't know that now you're moving from six reps to 10 reps. Mm. You're just increasing the time under tension so to speak, or being able to um, alter the intensity or the weight that you're lifting. So it's really important to understand that, you know, our body and our muscles don't know sets and reps. Mm, exactly. And that's perfect. And I think as we all become a little bit more educated and more experienced with training, we have been able to recognize that to have your set guidelines of sets and reps is great, but it's really about what you do in that. And yeah, don't worry so much. Oh, I have to hit 12 reps and then that's it. Well, if you feel like you've got some room in the tank for a couple more and you didn't really push during those 12, add a few more and then adjust the weight next time to go a little bit heavier rather than, all right, I've done my 12, the end. Like really mm. try and be present and, and work out how that set felt. Yeah, because, you know, there's 12 reps and then there's 12 reps. And then it always makes you question like, okay, that looked like an easy 12 reps, you know. So did you have five more? Because if you had five more, then that, that 12 reps didn't really do anything. Whereas if you're adding more weight and then you're still doing 12 reps, you know, and this is why you can't get so lost in a rep scheme. Exactly. Cool. Um, so when it comes to 
the mechanisms, so a little bit of science on what actually leads to hypertrophy, there are three main mechanisms. So what's the first one, Sherelle? Mechanical tension, which is, you know, the number one. So um, what, what exactly is mechanical tension? Oh, we're handballing back and forth today. This is new. <laughs> well, if you ask, okay. <laughs> so mechanical tension is the force that you place on your muscles when you are um, contracting them against resistance. So that mm. beautiful feeling of resistance when you're training and this is important. So we can't just fly through our reps because, mm. you know, there's hardly any tension on the muscle. We need to slow it down. This comes down to about 85 to 90% of your 1RM weight. You can't really mm. put a whole lot of mechanical tension on a 1RM weight. That's more of mm. a explosive movement. So you dial back the weight, you up the reps a little bit and really slow it down. Add tempo, add pauses but keep that tension on. Yeah. And it's, that's, it's the single most important thing that leads to hypertrophy or being able to build, build muscle is this mechanical tension. So, you know, whenever you see, and this is why I hate it when you see, you know, light rep, lightweight for high reps, you know, whenever you're contracting a muscle or moving something fastly, um, fastly, I don't know if that's the word, quickly, <laughs> you're not actually recruiting all the muscle fibers. You know, when no. something's moving really fast, you're not activating all those muscle fibers. So this is why it's really easy to understand so perhaps you know box jumps why they're not effective for building your glutes it's really easy because you're looking at you know the mechanical tension how much mm. load that muscle fiber or all the high threshold um units are being placed under so it, once you start learning and understanding a bit more about hypertrophy and how muscle growth actually occurs it's it becomes a lot more um easier to start putting together your own training and really executing properly and putting your energy into what matters most. For sure. So what you just mentioned, the fast reps and, and, and light weight, that can cross over to the second most important point being metabolic stress. So it still does serve a purpose. However, a lot of people just sort of have all their training in that style and it's not ideal. So mechanical mm. tension is number one. And number two is metabolic stress. So this mm. is kind of that pump feeling that you feel when you're sort of doing a burnout um, and things like that. So it mm. comes from an accumulation of fluid in your cells and then that increases the pressure and tension on the cell membranes. So the cell sees that as a threat and responds by growing thicker and in turn leads to muscle growth. So again, time and a place, but I wouldn't base mm. your training just on burnouts band work short rest periods all of that stuff mm. yeah and i think i think we've spoken about this in previous episodes where we talk about fatigue um you know when we look at building muscle there's something that's called like your central fatigue which is like your nervous system being under high amounts of fatigue and you know it's this metabolic stress or wasted junk volume that isn't actually building muscle tissue that a lot of people spend a whole lot of time in you know accumulating all this metabolic stress and like i said junk volume not being able to build up the intensity to actually build down the build up the muscle tissue so it's really important to make sure that you've got a balance between all mm. of them make sure that you are exploring all rep schemes all different styles of training so that you can get the best bang for your buck 
Yeah, for sure. And I know a lot of people have different opinions on whether to use a band or not. And you and I might have differing opinions, but I think it's also important to raise attention. So personally, I feel for activation, bands are amazing. Um, During the actual workout, if someone needs, for example, on a squat, if they need that little reminder of the knees out part of a squat, then having a band on is great. But wearing a band makes the movement harder. So you won't be able to lift as heavy. So Mm. if you're still trying to master new concepts with your technique, chuck a band on. Um, But it doesn't, but having a band on will not necessarily lead to higher muscle hypertrophy. It's a tool to learn and correct movement patterns. Yeah, hundred percent. I completely agree with you. Bands are a great teaching tool. You know, it it really does allow you to, I guess, get that mind to muscle connection to feel where you should be pushing. You know, if you're having your knees collapse in, then a band's a great thing to chuck around to show you where to push because if you don't push against it, your knees are probably going to like hit each other. So I'm the same. Like I used to use bands a lot in the past, and then the stronger and the more um, competent and efficient I got at certain exercises, the more I applied um, mechanical tension and load instead of going for that sort of burnout partial rep sort of thing just really focusing on applying more load so it really does depend on where you're at mm. and we'll get into that talking about some of these different training protocols or methods I guess because it does really depend on where you are in your, in your journey and in your training and this is why it's called advanced training methods yeah 100 yeah. percent. so what's the third one Sherelle Muscle damage, aka DOMS, oh. we all know it as. So, you know, I think one of the most common questions um, that, and you'd probably agree, Danny, is like, oh, you know, I'm not sore. Does this mean that my workout wasn't effective or it's not working or my program's mm. not good? And it's a very common, and I can understand because I used to think like that as well. It's like you'd wake mm. up and you're not sore and you're like, oh, did it even do anything? And this is why people do chase the pump and chase all these sorts of things because they want to feel that metabolic burn or mm. that soreness in the morning. And, you know, to be fair, if if soreness or um, DOMS led to muscle growth, every endurance athlete that woke up sore after a marathon would be jacked. But that's yeah, not actually. the case at all. Mm. You know, it's a hell of a lot of repetitions. And we know that volume and like eccentrics and everything increase um, DOMS. So, you know, again, it's, it's about understanding the physiology behind it. So, you know, creating inflammation, um, lessens the micro tears in the muscles through exercise, um, which leads to super compensation and building back stronger. So that's, I guess, the, the delayed onset muscle soreness. And it's, yeah, it's not necessary to feel sore for optimal training results because sometimes it can actually hinder your next session. So you ever felt so sore and you're like, oh yeah, I should probably have another day of rest. Well, Mm. that's lessening the overall volume for the week. Or if you train through that, you're already fatigued and that can lead to poorer performance. So sometimes it's not ideal. Yeah, because we know that effective volume is most optimal for building muscle. So if you're, you know, flogging yourself and pulling up really sore, but then continuing to flog yourself and or it's keeping you out of the gym, then you're not doing one of the primary drivers of being able to build new muscle tissue. And, you know, we don't build muscle in the gym. We build it when we recover. So if you're not recovering properly, and this is why like protein is so important because if you're pulling up sore and you've got a low protein diet, you're not providing your body with the amino acids to build back up and regenerate new muscle tissue. Well, then you're just going to stay sore and not be able to grow properly. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and sleep and all of that. But let's not turn this into a recovery tangent because okay, yeah, it's true. Do it. Don't but, get me started. Um, eat your protein and time under tension. So they're the two ways. Yep. <laughs> How's that? 101. There you go. All right. Now getting into advanced training styles. So we're all about earning the right sort of to move to the next level or earning the right to add weights on and so forth. Similar here, we must earn the right to be able to play around with your training and what we do call advanced training styles. So until mm. you have learnt the basics, you're pain-free and injury-free, then you can move on to this stuff. Not just because mm. you see it on Instagram and it looks cool, like, you know, we always see the bells and whistles of people's training, but these people have been training for years. Mm. Yeah, and that was one thing when you know when I was doing some reading on it, you know, everything there is very 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 limited research on this sort of stuff because it's really hard to quantify. And even like as a coach, it's really hard to program this sort of stuff. Um and you know be like, well, what, what's the volume that we're counting? You know, like when you're doing drop sets and supersets and it's really easy just to keep tra training until there's nothing left. It's really important to use these sorts of things strategically and mm. appropriately and, um, you know, scarcely. So, you know, you don't yeah. want to be drop setting everything because then it defeats the purpose. And again, it comes back to accumulating unnecessary fatigue and taking away from muscular, like being able to put enough tension on the muscle. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But for people like us who have been training a while, like our body is used to so many styles that we've done over the years that we do need to throw in a little surprise every now and then in the mm. form of this kind of stuff that we'll get into now. So let's talk about uh, some of the fun that we can have within our sets and reps. So the number one um, that we, I wanted to start with was drop sets because I think that's probably the most well-known one. It's probably the, the lowest entry point one of being able to do a drop set. So basically a drop set is doing multiple sets to failure one after another whilst reducing or dropping the weight used. Mm -hmm. These, oh, I do these. These are a killer. And these are good for home workouts as well yes. for people, um, you know, who don't have the big heavy machines, just add, add extra reps, but then lighten the weight. So you start off with 10 or so reps on an exercise, finish that set, and then you take some weight off, do another mm. 10, take some weight off, do another 10. Now you can do this three or four times, but it's a killer. Yeah, I really like doing it um, for, for um, Bulgarian lunges or Ooh. just any sort of lunge. Bulgarians are gross because they're hard enough without any weight. Yeah. Um, so doing them like with one dumbbell and then just dropping the dumbbell, like that's essentially a drop set. Like, yep. yeah, maybe you're not dropping the 10, 20% like it recommends. But again, this sort of stuff sort of is appropriate for home because I think the problem with um, novice people doing this stuff in the gym is that they've got access to the load. So, you know, when one goes up, one must come down, right? So if they're using already too heavy a load or their technique's not very good on the piece of equipment or the movement that they're doing, um, and then they only drop a little bit and then they're just going and it's all rubbish reps that's when it can turn into a bit of a disaster but yeah. if you've only got access to one dumbbell at home um, and you wanted to experiment with drop sets then that would be totally fine and personally I've been doing it with the couch with like um, like I said lunges so <laughs> yeah. using the dumbbell and then just dropping it and going body weight and once you've already fatigued the muscle with a certain load you know it doesn't take much 
Mm, for sure. And then once gyms are open, oh, the leg extension, they, it kills that lactic acid burn. And then you put the pin down and go again, put it down and go again. But you can use it on any body part, shoulders, back, as long as it's safe. You probably wouldn't do it on a barbell squat or barbell mm. deadlift just mm. because we need to, to keep perfect technique with that. But mm. as we've spoken before, yeah, something like, um, like training to failure in our previous episode, something like a machine exercise is perfectly safe to do so. Mm. so do you know what I love them for actually is um, lateral raises? Because what yes. I find is that, you know, and a one kilo increase on a lateral raise, by the way, is huge. So oh, I think, you know, just because the dumbbells only go up by one kilo and you saw, or, you know, you get to a certain, and it has to go up by a couple of kilos or you grab the next plate. I think a lot of um, girls are quite disheartened that they're only, that, that all of a sudden this is really hard, but mm. we're so different to men in our upper body strength. You know, we, we just not going to be able to get as strong as males that can pick up and, you know, lateral raise what we would do a bench with, you know, it's completely yeah. different. So you know, see that's holding the barbell. Have you ever seen guys train and they've got literally a barbell doing lateral raise? I'm like, holy crap. It's yeah, it's sort of it's nuts. Or you see them like just, you know, the 20 kilo bar or whatever, they just pick it up with like one hand and just put, yeah. put it somewhere. Yeah, and I'm oh, like fully bracing yeah. and like <laughs> pick it up. It's nuts. But but with the lateral raise, like I really love drop sets with that because, you know, if I want to go heavy to reinforce that mechanical tension, I might only get six reps out, but yeah. I know that I haven't fatigued all the muscle fibers in my deltoid. So then I just drop the weight and then yeah. keep going until failure. So, right. you know, again, um, exercise and muscle groups specific for drop yeah. sets as well. Yeah, for sure. Always good fun. Um, cool. So the next one is supersets. So you can have two or three exercises in a row where you go one to the next to the next. And this is actually really good for time poor people who don't really want to spend a minute or two in between sets in between exercises. It all adds up. So this is a really awesome way. Um, and it can be paired in a few ways as well. You can have agonist or antagonist being the opposite. So for example, let's just talk about a back exercise. For agonists, you would have a lat pull down and then maybe some rear flies. They're both mm. sort of working the back, similar muscles and movement patterns, and then you compare those together. Mm. Yeah, 100%. And I personally love supersetting, um, mm. especially for glutes because I find that, for example, like with the barbell hip thrust, quite strong on it so generally i might um superset that with like a back extension you know something that's a sim the same movement same target muscles um but then i can truly take it to fatigue it's safe you know yep. i'm not getting under a barbell you know and that's what you've always got to consider is supersets are awesome when they're intelligently put together you know yep. like you wouldn't go like you know, jump on a, um, a low bar back squat as the second series and take it to failure because it's not safe. Um, and that takes away from those primary principles that we were talking about. So yeah, um, no rest between each set and it's really good for accumulating fatigue and stimulating metabolic damage for muscle growth. Yeah. And when it comes to antagonists, so the agonists being the two example of the two back ones, you could match movement patterns. So for example, a barbell bent over row, and then a bench press. They're complete, mm. like 
Yeah, same movement patterns or forward and back and same grips, but you compare them. So when, mm. when you're resting the muscles on your back, you can train the muscles on your front. So, mm. so many different ways you can do. And these are great uh, in programming to make sure that you're achieving balance. So you can yeah. literally just match the movement patterns or a neutral grip lat pull down mm. and a, a neutral grip um, dumbbell press. Same yeah. kinds of movement. They're really cool to use. Yeah. And I really love that for upper body. Like I really love putting push pull together. I think it works really well. I think they mm. complement each other really well. But yeah, like, and I guess that's probably the other really, really renowned one. And it's important to not get a super sets as well, like mixed up with like just compound sets. So like performing exercises, just back to back in like a yep. pair so rather than a superset is like no rest, you know, and the exercise next to each other, they really matter. Like they have to complement each other. Yeah, really good. When it comes to strength training, this isn't ideal because if we're trying yep. to get really strong, you know, you and five by fives or anything under five reps, you want a decent amount of rest in between sets. Mm, no, yeah. And this is why, you know, we're talking about hypertrophy specifically. You know, mm -hmm. I, I would say like a lot of this stuff wouldn't be used in strength training at all. No way. No, mm. you don't really see... Um, sort of the powerlifters doing all this sort of stuff. This is more... No way. They yeah. would call it cardio, wouldn't they? Isn't that oh, what they're yeah. joking? Anything over eight reps, I think, is considered uh, cardio for powerlifters. Absolutely. Yeah, that... <laughs> yeah. I'd be a shit powerlifter. Um, <laughs> anyways, moving on. So pre-exhaustion superset. So this is just another type of superset um, that, you know, I, I use at home as well, like with home training. So it's performing an isolated exercise immediately before a compound exercise for the same muscle group. So mm. this could be something like going from a, a wall sit to a, um, a front squat, yep. you know, for example, like really taxing out the muscles or pre-exhausting, uh, I guess, as the name suggests, before moving into the actual working set. So if you've got limited access to load, for example, then this can be a great strategy to jump into. And I found this really good for hip thrusts as well, because holding an isometric hold for like 40, 50, 60 seconds, whatever you can do, you're quite strong in it. And then performing your working set, my God, like it really screws you up. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've all sort of, or not we've all, but floating around on social media, a few of our uh, trainers that we like to, to socialise with use towels and things for that isometric hold. And it's very cool. Um, it's a really cool way. So, for example, an RDL position, Romanian deadlift, and you're, mm. you're pulling up against that towel. And because it's a fixed object, you're just putting your muscle under so much tension. And then you go and do your RDL or something like that. Mm. So pretty mm. exhausting. Um, mm. And it's also good if you struggle to feel a certain muscle during an exercise. So, for example, on Romanian deadlifts, we'll just stick with that. Let's just say you struggle to get your hamstrings activated or, or working. And let's just say you feel it more in your glutes, which some people do. Mm. So you can jump on the hamstring curl when you're back at the gym or use some sort of band to pre-exhaust and pre-activate your hamstrings and then go straight to the mm. RDL. You'll feel it so much more. Yeah. And I do that, um, you know, if I don't want to use so much load for a compound yep. exercise, I'll do that because again, if the goal is hypertrophy, it doesn't really matter, you know, how much if, as long as I'm reaching that failure. So mm. I might do like, um, you know, a lying or a seated leg curl 
as a superset with a Romanian for that same purpose. Um, so yeah. again, it comes down to like the reason for why you're doing it. And I think, you know, isometrics isn't something I've played with a whole lot. Um, okay. But after having the um, hamstring tendonitis at the start of the year, I had, I included like for, um, 30 second isometric holds of like just a Romanian deadlift. And I found that like really beneficial for helping. So yeah, it's definitely something I'd like to get into. And as well as um something I was doing before I, sorry, was um with the cable raises. So you know how you can use like a lateral raise, like mm. with the cable, with the ankle cuff mm. and you can fix the, um, the cable so that you can hold the isometric hold as hard as you oh, can. Yeah. So I'll do that with the cable raise That's for good. like nearly blow a fuse and yeah. then drop it down and then perform it because then you won't need as much. Brilliant. So, I'm yeah. going to take that one. That's really cool. Yeah. Particularly on the shoulders. As you said, it's hard for us to go up and you see people with, yeah. you know, lateral raises like to six, seven kilos. It's like, yeah. oh, you're just sort of moving your body. You're not really training your shoulders. So that's a good one actually. Yeah. Yeah. So throwing an ankle strap on um, so you don't tax your wrist flexors so much with the, with the cables and then just really isometric hold as hard as you can, blow a fuse and then pull it the, what do you call the, the pin out and then yeah. perform and you only need like, I'd get like six and I'd be done yeah. rather than like 16. Really good. And back on um, when it, you were talking about your tendon and isometric holds, that's the only way to, to heal tendons, by the way, with isometric holds. So it's good that it mm. worked um, because tendons love load. They hate mm. stretching. So mm. someone, for example, with a hamstring tendinopathy, as you had as well, if you sat there stretching out your hamstrings, it just would have pissed it off so much more. So we mm. need to load the tendon with isometrics. Now, mm. if you don't have a tendinopathy, which is awesome, there's still a useful tool to have as well. So for example, in the bottom part of a squat, we need to be strong down there as well. So isometric holds in that bottom part of the squat will strengthen mm. that movement. So they're an yep. awesome tool to have for sure. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. And this, you know, perhaps with a barbell, you know, you'd want to be, make sure that you're strong throughout the whole movement, but you can definitely lose, use a lot of machines, for example, like a leg press holding that bottom position and then mm. really driving up or a pendulum squat or whatever it might be you know there's lots of ways that you can overload that stretched position without using free weights or like what i said i love adding in like three second holds at bottom of you know bulgarians they suck or romanian deadlifts Oof. But yeah they're yeah fun. all right um, giant moving on. sets oh, i've only had to do i've only done this i think once or twice but they are a killer but you do yeah. need like the whole gym in access because you're sort of jumping from <laughs> one to the next to the next so yeah. Feel yeah. like you just want to go over the PA and be like, guys, I'm just about to do a, a giant set. <laughs> yeah. Everyone right. <laughs> guys, giant glute set coming up. Oh, yeah. So basically it's a form of a circuit. You have three or more exercises, one after the other, after the other. So generally you would put sort of your compound one first. Um, and then the more exercises you do, they become more safe because you're going to get so tired by the end. Yeah, so it's a really good way to challenge, you know, the entire muscle through all its different contractile ranges. So short, mid and, and um, length and position. And one of my favorite ones, um, again, I'm always trying to think of more ways that I can just tax out my glutes and hamstrings because they mm. do, you do get so strong and you almost get diminishing returns on a lot of, a lot of exercises once you do get so strong. 
But one of my favorite ones was like Nordic dips into a 45 degree back extension and then into a seated leg curl, like a, a Ooh, big yeah. try sort of set. Um, yeah. Cause you're taking it from a really challenging exercise to a, from a lengthened position to then like the mid position on a 45 degree hyper, which we're all still pretty quite strong in the strongest. And then to a seated leg curl where it's really stable, you're fixed yeah. in, you can really push to true failure on a seated leg curl, not a lying, a seated and like dead after that. So again, the more exercises that you add into circuit styled stuff, the more intelligently it has to be put together. Like yeah. you can't just bang in all these exercises. Yeah. I mean, like if you're resting between it or you're performing them on their own, you've got more room for error. Like it doesn't really matter. You can do a full body training split. If you're resting between all the exercises, it doesn't really matter. But once you start clustering stuff together, that's when it becomes really important for, I guess, injury prevention more than anything, yeah. right? You don't want to run yourself into the ground just because you're, you're like slamming yourself. As we mentioned at the start, recovery is so important. But if you can map out your month of programming and know where to mm. put these in, great. Particularly maybe on something like this, a giant set as well, put it at the start of your week where you have the most energy on a body part that you're, you're quite strong in already but need that extra mm. boost, then you can yeah. sort of use this. But you don't have yep. to do these methods on everything because you'll just break down. It'll just be too much. Yeah. But these are sort of your yeah. ace of spades that you keep up your sleeve just to throw in to challenge a well-trained athlete for sure. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I guess it's just good to know as well, like why people do this sort of stuff. Mm. And like, you know, if you're, you're looking at other people's training, well, maybe like they've got a right to do that. Like yeah. there's some of these I wouldn't have a right to do. Like I wouldn't use all of these, you know, throughout the entire entire training week. You know, no. you use them strategically and bleed them into your program when it's appropriate. This next one's one of my favorites. I love this one, um, mm -hmm. the rest pause method. So basically that's performing one main set followed by additional sets with very short rest periods. So again, it's a really good way to um, take a muscle to failure, have a really brief pause and then go again to really yeah. take it to true failure without you know, compromising um, the technique so much. And there's a few specific exercises like um, a glute drive or a hip thrust that I really like this for. Um, lunges like split squats on a Smith machine. I'll do that like in a nice stable Smith machine split squat. Such a tongue tire that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but basically, it essentially breaks down one set into several mini sets with very short rest periods. Um, you don't need to reduce the weight, which is, I guess, is the main difference between a rest pause and a drop set. Is you keep yep. the same weight because you're only going to be able to do another two or three reps, and those will be the hardest two or three reps that you mm. will ever do. Yeah, I always use. This if I sort of miscalculate my weight. So let's just say, for example, for any exercise, I've got 10 reps, but I, I get a bit keen and I pop it up a bit high and then reach maybe seven reps. I'll count to five, just sit there and wait and then go again until I reach mm. that 10. So it's really good to just use as a buffer as well if you miscalculate your, your um, weight that you're lifting. But I use this all the time. Like mm. it's, it's really good just to to keep the weight the same instead of jumping to the lighter one, just wait it out for a couple of seconds and then go again. Absolute game changer. Mm. Mm. And I guess, you know, when you think about a lot of these sorts of strategies, 
they're really mostly appropriate for machines and cables. You know, like I, like I said, you're free, you're at home doing lunges and stuff like that. They're pretty safe. You know, like unilateral exercises, you can't load them a huge amount unless you've got a barbell on your back. But yeah. you know, I guess the main point is that machines and cables and stable pieces of equipment are when these are going to be most appropriate that you can push and again, fatigue a muscle without injuring yourself. Mm, mm, for sure. All right. So forced reps. Okay. Oh, this is when we used to train together and like, well, we've only trained together sort of once, but that time. Um, I know. Yeah, we need to get that happening again once we're allowed to do stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, forced reps involves a spotter to provide assistance after reaching muscular failure. Oh, you know when you train with your mate and you're just in the zone and you think oh. you're done and they're like, hell no, you've got more and they sort of help you through yeah. it. Oh, it's yeah. Fun. I miss that and, so much. And once you train with someone a few times, you you can almost read, you're like, they've got more. You know, like oh, I yeah. know they're hurting, but they've got more, you know, and you yeah. see that bar path and you're like, yeah, it's not quite slow enough yet. You're not mm. really grinding here. We've got more, <laughs> yeah. but you know, the four straps. So they're again, it's pretty similar to a drop set, but instead of reducing the weight yourself, you have your spotter, your training partner to assist um, by taking the load off the bar or the machine or whatever it might be. So again, you wouldn't do four straps with like a back squat, so to speak. Like you might have your spotter yeah. helping you with, that last one if you're struggling with technique but you know on a hack squat a leg press or whatever it might be your spotter would literally physically help take some of that load off so that you can get through those last reps because you know the concentric phase or when you're contracting that muscle is the hardest portion of the exercise so they're taking that load off during that phase yeah I, and the most useful um or the the exercise that i need this the most on is the lying hamstring curl when when we trained mm. with Hattie, that's what we did and and we were placing resistance against each other as you were pushing yep. up or oh, ever since that day like because then i've been training hamstrings on my own um mm. when yeah when there's not a partner and you just oh how boring it's not the same because you reach that level of fatigue but then to yeah. have someone else do the concentric, so the first part of the movement, and then you let it down just to really burn your hamstrings. It hasn't been mm. the same since. So no, yeah, no. it yeah. really makes a difference. You can just just take yourself to that next level when someone else is there spotting you. But in yeah. saying that, I also used to remember when I was working on the gym floor and you'd have those trainers that would spot their client on every single freaking exercise. Oh. And it's like, no, time and a place. One, yeah. one or two exercises where you need that extra helping hand, but let them do the work. That's what they're paying you for, yeah. you know? There's a difference. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know what it is, but I used to, like if someone was there to help me, it's like as soon as they stood up to spot me, my, I would just be like subconsciously like, oh, no, they've got this. You oh. know? And whereas, you know, when you're like, it's just you, you're like, no one's getting me out of this. Yeah. So I've got to grind up to the top, you know, I've got to push. And mm. I don't, it was a subconscious thing for a while. Um, you know, I'm better at it now and being able to generate the intensity and be like, oh, no, they've got me. Like, I've got this, having yeah. that little bit of a confidence. But, you know, it takes a while to you know, of training experience to be able to almost pre-qualify for forced reps. But yeah. when you do, because, you know, it's scary. It's freaking scary. <laughs> like you're not going to get up. And then you sort of think, what happens if you don't? Yeah. So I think it's good 
to after a little bit of training experience to have someone who perhaps you know is a bit more um advanced than you are to help you you know figure out what your boundaries are with forced reps yeah because you surprise yourself about you know you might think oh yeah that's my that's my 10 rep max but then if you were forced to go to failure and then assisted in those last few reps it might you might have got 20 out and then yeah. it's like, oh shit, I'm twice as strong as what I thought. That means that I could technically add like another 50% and probably get my 10 rep max that way. Yeah, yeah. But as you said, it's, um, yeah, it's not for everyone. So you have to learn perfect technique, proper bracing, um, yeah. what to do when you're really exerting yourself because you're like pushing mm. and everything's next level. Mm. So yeah, there's mm. no point um, using these methods if you're still nailing your technique and how to brace and all of that. Like it's, yeah, you just hurt yourself and it's a waste of time. Yeah. And the really important thing to understand is that technique breaks under heavy load. So, you know, the, when it, it deteriorates is when we've got too much load on us and that's when our form just turns to rubbish. So Mm. that's why we always say, you know, if it's not working well, take some of the load off because you're going to be able to get through the movement better. So it goes the other way as well. If you're going to failure, your technique's going to fail first, generally, so to speak. Yep. Sweet. All right. Half or partial reps. Now this is cool. So, well, it's all cool. It's all fun. You can tell we love this stuff. <laughs> it's like we get excited. It's I like, know. Woo-hoo, method. <laughs> so half reps or partial reps is overloading a target area. So really um, emphasizing that sticking point. So for example, mm. one and one quarter reps, uh, we'll just use a bicep curl, for example. You go up the whole way, one quarter of the way down, come up and then go again. Mm. So you sort of add that extra little bit of tension throughout the uh, range of the movement. Yeah. And this is, um, you know, this, this differs depending on the exercise and when the muscle is under the most tension. So, you know, if you're, if the muscle's under the most tension in the lengthened position, like a squat or a lunge, um, then you would perform that quarter rep at the bottom. Whereas if it's a hip thrust and the muscle is under the most tension in the shortest position, you would do that quarter rep at the top. And this is why, you know, it's not beneficial to do a quarter rep at the bottom of a hip thrust it, it doesn't no. make much sense and the same as a squat you wouldn't do like a tiny little pulse at the top you know you yeah. do it at the bottom so for every exercise they have a short and a lengthened position to train at um but yeah. you know one of my sort of um pet peeves is like when you see people that can't even perform a full rep properly with really good technique but they're doing these pulses or these quarter reps and i think it's really important to know that they're not essential you know, they're not essential to do these quarter reps or anything like that. It's just basically overloading that portion because you're getting really strong. And I like to use this instead of um, pulses or pauses or partial reps, sorry, um, I would use pauses for mm. someone who still wants to overload that stretch position by adding an isometric contraction, I guess, at the bottom of it. Yeah, pauses first and then all of this stuff for sure. And you see people kind of doing this, but then you f- they fly through it. There's no point. Yeah. You're better off doing one slow, full rep than really mm. quick one and a quarters or one and a half. It's just not, there's no yeah. point at all. 
Because um, yeah. you're not going be, to be strong doing quarter reps, obviously, um, yeah. because, again, you're just fatiguing that, the position when the muscle is under the most load. And I don't use them that much at all, really. Mm. Like, I really don't use quarter reps. I would much rather add, like, a three-second hold at the bottom and challenge myself that way um, than program a lot of quarter reps. But they are commonly used, so it's important to know for what for. Yeah, I definitely use them, but then I also use long pauses as well. So particularly mm. with my clients as well, there's a, and you notice it as a coach, I'm sure you'll get this as well, that people, they want, they come to you, they see all this cool stuff on Instagram and then, you know, you sort of really have to take them back and make sure they're doing everything perfect first before they do earn that right. So I don't really program this stuff until they're well and truly have proven that they can do all the movement patterns well their barbell work mm. looks great. All right, cool. The next phase, we add all of this. So the yep. first phase being cool. How's your stability, mobility? Then we get you to the barbell and then we add all this stuff. You're not mm. you're never going to get this at the start of one of our programs. Like mm. unless someone comes to me, they've been training for years and they're amazing technique at everything no way so mm. but it's it's yeah. fine because like us i mean it's so hard to elicit a change and the amount of effort that we need to put in to change our body change our training it's ridiculous so much effort mm. for just a tiny change so no matter where you are in your journey just appreciate where you are and and appreciate mm -hmm. that you don't always have to be trying to rush ahead to what everyone else is doing like just enjoy yeah. each phase and take that challenge of nailing it before you move on. Yeah. Don't rush the progress. And whenever you're looking at, you know, all these methods and, and exercises and training, you know, you want to leave this big runway of progression for everything, you know, yeah. and, and these strategies are at the end of the runway. So, you know, whether it comes down to exercise selection or, you know, adding in some of these methods or, transitioning from unilateral to bilateral exercises it really is about just allowing that there is that progression and there is that runway because if you just jump to the end of the runway well the plane's not going to take off is it um another weird analogy <laughs> <by me. laughs> if you jump to the end of the runway the plane's not going to take off you there need it you <laughs> You need, to, you need to give it time. Otherwise, you're not going to take off. You need lift off, don't you? There you go. Well, you know you fly know. planes. So you Seriously. Know you, you need go. runway. You do not want to run out of runway, I tell you. No. Um, I've always wondered if that could happen. But, yeah, it doesn't sound fun. No. <laughs> Fuck no. Because there's always trees at the end of a runway. Yeah, you um, don't want that. There you go. <laughs> don't hit the trees. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, these training methods, um, basically they all manipulate volume. They all manipulate time under tension and fatigue to stimulate hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. And there's no perfect amount of reps. It's just what you do with your reps. Okay. So take ownership. Don't just be a slave to the number on your program. Like actually take ownership yep. of your training. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's easy to get caught in that as well, being like, oh, but coach said six to eight reps. You know, it's really important to be able to let go of reps and sets. And of course, we have um, guidelines and parameters. Mm. Like we want people to be, you know, in this target rep range. But it's really important. Like I really love autoregulation and being able to listen to your body and think what feels good and what doesn't. But learning that, you know, it does come down to time under tension. It does yep. come down to certain exercises and just having guidelines and being able to let go of all these numbers really allows you to advance into your training.
Yeah, for sure, for sure. As long as you're monitoring your what you're lifting and which weights and then building upon that for next time, always mm. adding some form of progressive overload, for sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so again, just a bit of a recap. You know, these advanced training methods are not for true beginners or novice. Um, you must have perfect technique before challenging um, or changing up your movements, yes. you know, jumping to the end of the runway. That's right, or else you will hit the tree, or the plane won't take off. There you go. So... You always remember we must earn the right to add weight. We must earn the right to add in all of these fancy advanced training styles, um, time mm. and a place. And then once you do sort of delve into that, that side of training, just pick one at a time, whether it be the quarter reps, whether it be the rest pause method. We don't want to just add everything in because then it won't allow enough time for recovery. And we still want to have skill-based training to be the focus as well. We want to make sure that we're performing everything correctly, always. Mm, mm, yeah, 100%. Um, God, I'm looking forward to everything going back to normal though, you know, really being able to get back into training and start including some of this stuff again because I think it's really important as well that, you know, if you are just getting back into the gym, don't jump into force reps. Don't jump into the rest pause methods, you know, just ease back into it and allow your body to adjust before, you know, throw the hammer at it. Yeah, and then for all the coaches and trainers listening as well, just be mindful of when your clients come to you and they want to sort of jump ahead of the runway. We'll run with that analogy. Um, as a coach, it's your duty to screen whether they're ready as well. So, mm. yes, they need to, to enjoy their training, but then are they there to be serious? If they want to be an advanced athlete, then they will listen and, and earn that right. So, yeah, it works both ways as someone who's training, but then also as a trainer on what to look out for. Mm. Yeah, time and a place. Time and a mm. place, as always. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again for listening, guys and girls. If you did enjoy the episode, please do take a screenshot, post it on the Instagram, tag myself, tag Danielle, and tag the Level Up podcast. Girls, if you did enjoy the episode, please do take a screenshot, post it on the Instagram, tag myself, tag Danielle, and tag the Level Up Podcast. Tag the Level Up Podcast.